Can I say welcome to our Christmas series? <clears throat> um, and it's kind of like us. I'd say our second slash third week. I feel like kind of Denzel kind of started things off really. Um, but more technically, starting last week, our series over the Christmas period is called Wishlist. And um, Wishlist. Really, m- my hope is that what we'll be doing is providing you with... Um, providing you with the ability to be able to defend the true meaning of Christmas over the Christmas period. You know what I mean? And, and if, if, if you don't have opportunity to defend, you know what I'm saying, the real reason for the season, at least my hope is that you won't be stumbled. You won't be challenged or confronted by stuff that's going to make you think, ah, oh, this Bible thing, this Jesus thing, like, really, what is it all about? Because so many are having that, that, um, that challenge, wrestle them to the ground. And like I said, beyond that, it would be great if we'd be able to stand up for the true meaning of Christmas. I flopped. I should have worn my... I, sh- I, got, two, I got two sick Christmas jumpers, <laughs> I, I, even if I say so myself. One of them's just got, you know, straight out of Compton. It's got straight out of Lapland. It's just ill. <laughs> And I, I never wore, and then I got a next one. It's, what's it called? The, the something, the compulsory Christmas jumper. Uh, anyway, um, but I didn't wear them today. So, um, where was that going? I don't know. So, <clears throat> wish list part two. And today, the, the the main point of the message. Last week we had three points to the sermon. This week, because it's hopefully a shorter sermon, is um, one point. And my one point is God gave us the Messiah. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1, some um, quite well-known verses. <clears throat> now, the question that we've been asking um, over the past couple of weeks is this. What are you hoping for? What are you hoping for? It's Christmas, and um, <clears throat> I'm sure everyone's got a wish list, right? Well, does anybody know who this is? Maybe Foxy, no, Foxy and Ashley wouldn't know who this is. You can't know who this is. Anybody know? All right, then. I believe the brother's name is Andrew Clark, and this is him with his partner. I'm not sure if it's his wife. He's 51, and um, he's a builder from Lincolnshire, and he had the winning ticket for 67 million, 76 million pounds. (laughs) Give or take 10 million, like, what's the deal, right? 76 million pounds. And the thing is, he had the ticket in his van for six weeks. I never realized. Now, if I'm honest, yeah, I'm going to expose my, 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 my issues in terms of my wish, quote-unquote wish list. I can't lie. I looked at it and I thought, 70, I thought 67, 76 million pounds. He, he could spare a couple of that and, and I would be good if, <laughs> if he just sent some of that. I'm like... What would, and I'm honest, I saw the thing and I started dreaming. I started thinking, boy, what would I do with 76 million pounds? I can't lie. For a minute, I was gone. Um, talking about millions, I don't know if you guys remember this. I can't remember when I, when I made this prediction. But I said a number of years back, if someone could cure baldness, right, as Pastor E walks in the room, if someone, <laughs> bruv, with two slapheads, bruv, it's all good. 
And those of you who are laughing, it's all right. You're in your 20s, isn't it? It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. But I predicted it. I said, if somebody could come up with a cure for boldness, how many of you know they will be millionaires? They'll be like my man, Mr. Clark. Overnight, they'll be millionaires, right? Well, they've kind of come up with one. Have you heard of this? Micropigmentation. Listen, I don't even know if it's the picture's going to come up so well. Here's a brother that was challenged follically, right? Yeah. Yeah, you want to see him now? You want to see him now? You're not ready for this. All right, then. The lady said, oh. Was that, oh, like, and what? What's the big deal? Wow. All right, fellas with bald heads. You feeling me? Okay, all right. And that is, it's actually a tattoo. You can see what? You can see, you can see the hairline. Listen, maybe you have to look at that one. Or I don't know if this projector is so clear. Listen, let me tell you, it's, it's, it's legit. As long as you get it done at the right clinic, because some of them, oh my gosh, some of them will mess up your scalp. <laughs> but what am I saying? I'm trying to say, listen, I can't lie. I looked at this and I thought, boy, boy, Parson, I think it's about two grand. I was like, boy, I wonder if I could find that money. <laughs> boy, what am I saying? I'm saying... These are a couple of the things that potentially could have been on my wish list if I had one. Question is, what's on your wish list? You know what I mean? And I think on, you know what I'm saying, on a more serious note, depending on what is on your wish list, your honest wish list, you know what I'm saying, I suppose it begs the question, are, are you satisfied? Let's say you don't get what's on the, on, on, on the wish list. And I say, am I satisfied if I don't get micropigmentation? You know what I'm saying? Am I going to be satisfied if I don't become a multimillionaire? You know what I'm saying? Are you satisfied or do you feel like you desperately need something to complete you? It's an it's a honest, genuine question, right? And especially in the day in which we live, everyone's challenged on so many levels to be something that you're not, Right? What, what are you hoping for? Well, that's a question I'd like to ask you as we, as we pray. Father, thank you for, again, opportunity to get together in this fashion. Father, we want to thank you for the truth of your word. We want to thank you for the truth about Christmas. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to allow Christmas to get hijacked. Lord, out there, uh, but also in our own hearts. And um, I pray, Father, that this short message would contribute to solidifying us in our faith in order, Lord, that one, we might really appreciate what you've done for us, but that also, Lord, we might have confidence in telling others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so I asked the question more on a, on a personal level, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, um, what is your wish list? How about on a national level? Hey, what is our nation? hoping for what is the uk what is the uk hoping for huh well my answer to that question is it's divided in relation to harriet's answer 52 percent and i'm saying want a brexit and 48 percent want to stay in europe but the fit the funny thing is it's not actually that clear it's not even like it's really two choices or two decisions is it some say they want a clean Brexit. 
Some say they want to they wanna remain in the EU. And then really you've got kind of like a third choice that's being presented now, right? Some people want to remain, but only if it's a good deal. You know what I mean? And so there are kind of three options and people are crying out for a people's vote, right? As if the people didn't already vote, but hey, <laughs> just gave away my position right there. Uh, <clears throat> some of you are like, oh, Pastor Rob, I can't believe. That's your perspective. Now, that's us as a nation. How many of you know there's another nation, historically speaking, that wasn't divided on their desire, wasn't divided on that which, that which they were hoping for, and that's Israel. Generally speaking, they were much more unified that is in their hope. They wanted, if you remember, at a certain time, a king, and they needed a king because <clears throat> politically they were being ruled by outside foreign nation, I should say nations, over a period of time, because it wasn't for the first time in their history. As an infant nation, they were enslaved initially by who? Can you remember? Who Israel were initially enslaved by? It was right back in the early days. Thank you. The Egyptians, right? <clears throat> and then they were conquered, that is the northern part of, of Israel, because, you know, the kingdom it did divide at one point. And you had the northern kingdom called Israel, the southern kingdom called Judah. Who, did, who, who took the northern kingdom into captivity? Begins with A. Assyria. So Israel went and a God warned Judah, said, look, be careful that you don't end up like your sister Israel and end up in captivity. And they didn't, listen, that is, and they did end up in captivity, right? And they went to where? By the rivers of Babylon. Right, it's, that's a Christmas song, isn't it? I don't know why it's a Christmas. How did that make become a Christmas song? Where we sat down, there we wept when we remembered Zion. Why? Because they were in Babylon. That is Babylonian captivity, right? And then, <clears throat> then what happened? The Medo-Persians conquered the Babylonians. Who conquered the Medo-Persians? History lesson. Alexander the Great? The Greeks, right? The Greeks conquered, and they tried to um, conquer Israel. And I don't know if you're aware of the, aware of the story. They didn't. They said, like... Alexander the Great sent one of his commanders in to conquer Israel, like, calmly, because they took over the whole world at the time, right? And they didn't. A guy called Judas Maccabeus stood up against the tyranny, and you ever heard of the book of Maccabees? Yeah. The Catholic Bible has it in the intertestamental period between Malachi and, Gen and Malachi and Matthew. We don't have that in our Bible. We believe it's historical, but we don't believe it's canon canonical. So you've got first and second Maccabees. It's less than books in the Bible that in Jamaica they tell you don't read. Oh, Obia, people who do, Obia, voodoo, read them parts of the Bible. Don't read that part. It's just history, you know what I'm saying? And then you've got the book of Tobit and Edith and, and uh, anyway, um, those intertestamental books catalog, particularly first and second Maccabees, this whole story of Alexander the Great sending his commander into trance. And so they didn't really conquer, but they tried. But then who came and conquered the Greeks eventually? Thank you. And this brings us up to where we are in our text. The Romans then conquered the Greeks. And <clears throat> Israel in Matthew chapter 1 are under Roman occupation. And like I said, what are they hoping for? Well, they're hoping for, they're desperate for, for deliverance. And they need a king or a political military leader that will come and liberate them. Now, <clears throat> I said they need a leader. They need a king. Does anybody know 
especially in biblical terms, um, a synonymous term for the king, especially if you're talking about Old Testament Israel. Anybody? Priests? No. Priests were separate. Judges were those who predated the kings. It was like the time of the judges. And then you had the first kind of, not the first judge, the last judge who was Samuel, who then anointed the first king, right, who was Saul, right? Beg your pardon? So, so I'm looking for synonymous terms with the word king. Savior, yes, because that was used for judge. Who said anointed one? Thank you, D. Anointed one. Why? Because the king was the one that they anointed. Remember when Samuel went down to get Jesse, he took the oil and he put it on his, on, on his head because he was anointed. That's what they did with the kings every time they, um, they, they, um, they had a coronation and they put a king in place and they'd anoint them. So they'd call them the king, the anointed one. There were other synonymous terms. Anybody give me something else? Begins with M, and it's the it's the Hebrew term. Thank you, Messiah. Whenever you see the word Messiah, right, it has a synonymous meaning with the word King, but it also has a synonymous meaning with the Greek, the the Hellenized version of the word Messiah. Does anybody know the Hellenized version of the word Messiah, which still means King, which means thank you, Christ or Christos. It means anointed one. I mean, Jesus' name isn't, Christ isn't Jesus' surname. It's a title. You know what I'm saying? And it's the same as Messiah or Mashiach in Hebrew. And the word fundamentally just means king. So all of these are synonymous terms for the word king. Anytime you see those words, you know, sometimes like when, when I first became a Christian and I learned this, I was like, why didn't they just put, you know, Jesus the king? Why the Christ? The anointed one. Oh, the Messiah. Oh, the king. It's, it's long, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's, I used to ask that question, but hopefully you find that helpful. So <clears throat> what is Israel's hope? Can you, see the, can you see what they're looking for? Can you see what's on their ultimate wish list? So we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 1. Please, if you can, like Alex, if you can turn there, wonderful. If you can't, don't worry. I'm going to try and put most of the slides up. But if you can turn, it's actually going to be sweeter if you're looking at the text. So, Matthew chapter 1, <clears throat> and what we're going to do is we're going to read this first portion. My laptop's not giving me the page before, so I'm a bit lost. So, Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Very typical verses at Christmas time. You saw the kids play out, right? So, it must be true. Verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the who? All right. Now, this translation I've used is the NIV for a reason. Has anybody got a different um, translation? And if you do... Does it have a different word in place of Messiah? Christ. Thank you, sis. So you see, I'm not telling no lie, right? These are synonymous terms. Now, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, or the Christ, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of who? Son of David. Who is David? He was one of the kings, right? Like one of the very, um, he was a very not notorious, he, he was a notable king, right? Jesus, sorry, Joseph, son of David, 
right? Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will what? He will save his people from their sins. Whoever Jesus' people are, boy, they're blessed, right? They're going to be saved from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which actually has a meaning, right? And in parenthesis, it gives us the definition. It means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary... <clears throat> And took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, there's a lot in there about Mary, a lot in there about Joseph. I'm going to actually highlight Joseph Christmas Eve, and um, so I'm not going to spend too much time as much as I would love to, but this has to be two separate messages, otherwise, yeah. So according to Matthew's biography... <clears throat> Who does he present Jesus as? I don't have my thing that I can shine. Brothers, it's got a light on it as well. Is it? Which one do you press? The red one. What? Okay. So look. How does he present Jesus? Or? Or? The anointed one? Or? You see how Matthew is presenting Jesus? Presenting him in this fashion for a particular purpose. Matthew is saying that Jesus, he's the one. Matthew is saying Jesus is the one that Israel has been looking for. He's the one that we've been waiting for. We'll come back to Matthew momentarily. Now, I'm not sure if you can see this from where you are. I can just about read it from where I am. Um, it's a box that I'm holding in my hand if you're listening or put on the podcast. Um, <laughs> this is mad. This is... A present that I got last Christmas. I wonder if my sister's in there who gave it to me. I got this last Christmas because I was chatting to um, one of my sisters and said to her, it's Teresa. You know, she's one of, the, one of our foster carer family friends. And she was telling me she got this ancestry thing done and it tells her all of her ancestry and she had seven or eight different things. I think Pastor E said him and his whole family done it as well. Is it the whole family that done it as well, bro? Yeah, so somebody bought this for me <laughs> last, last I, haven't, I haven't opened it yet. I got it last Christmas, so um, maybe I can give it to myself. If I don't get no presents this year, I can give it to myself as a Christmas gift this year. Um, but it's myancestry.com. Um, and <clears throat> this is apparently really good, but, but it's limited. It tells you where you're potentially from, but it don't tell you who you're from in a more kind of specific sense. It tells you you come from Nigeria. I got a feeling the four main places that are going to come up on mine are Nigeria, even yesterday, someone stopped me, you know, Pastor E, asked me where in Nigeria I'm from. <laughs> and I said, I'm not sure, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but possibly, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but uh, yeah, somehow, I've got a feeling I've I, I got Chinese in me, because I, I know I've got Chinese family. Um, I know that my great-granddad on my mum's side is a white Englishman from Cornwall, and I know that my great-granddad on my dad's side is a white Irishman Hence the name Prendergast, right? So I know I'm mixed up. Um, but I ain't going to get no names. That's why I love the Bible. Going back to Matthew, when the Bible does ancestry, hey, 
It takes things to another level. Look at your Bible, if you, again, if you have one, um, as well as I'm going to put it up on the screen. Watch Matthew further build his case for Jesus as the anticipated one, the Messiah. So at the beginning, now we just read kind of like the, the, the middle kind of to late section of Matthew chapter 1. This is the previous section, right, starting in verse 1. Can you see, the, and the, the NIV gives you like a little subheading, and you can see it's the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, right? Now that's not the text, but it's in the text, right? Verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, I wish I had time to come back to Abraham. I don't think I will. Um, <clears throat> and verse 1 is an incredible summary of everything that's going to come next from verse 2 to verse 17, right? Because think about it, right? You're talking about Jesus. Turn to this. Oh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, right? You, go, you have to go back 14 generations to David, and then you have to go back another 14 generations to Abraham, but there's a whole heap of family in between. So that verse 1 is just a summary. And then verse 2 to 17 now unpacks it. Abraham now was the father of Isaac. And I'm saying Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah, who again, I wish I could come back to, but I don't think I'm going to have time to, and his brothers. <clears throat> it goes on and it gives this, you know, the genealogy, the stuff, that, the, the pages you normally read over, the chapters you normally don't read, right? Just read over them. <laughs> so important. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, oh my gosh, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, oh my gosh, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, we know that, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, wow, drama, right? Verse 7, Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and so it continues. Verse 11 picks up on Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to where? This is when they got taken into captivity. Um, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and then it goes on. Verse 15 picks up. It says, Elihud, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. No, it's verse 16. And Jacob, the father of who? Joseph, Jesus' stepdad, his dad's name was Jacob. And Joseph, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, oh my gosh, like baby mama drama. Like, that's why you got to love the Bible, you know. It's just so real, you know what I mean? Um, like I said, um, Christmas Eve, I'm going to talk about Joseph. I, I never realized just how great an example Joseph is, especially to our context in terms of, like, who's trying to take on... I remember a brother saying to me one time, this is me mashing up my message for next for, 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 for Monday night. A brother said to me, you know, Pastor Rob, I want to get married, you know. I'm like, yeah, bro, that's a good thing, you know. It's a good thing to want to get married and da-da-da-da. So what's, what, what are the boxes that you need to tick, bro? Because you know you've got them boxes, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of them boxes is like, Pastor, I'm not marrying no woman with kids, you know. I was like, raw. I was like, no, like maybe you just keep that one to yourself, innit? You know what I mean? <laughs> let's, let's say you know that. You're going to tell me that? I was like, and, and you know, I, I just thought, there's quite, and it's funny, you know what's really funny? The, the brother that told me that, wow, 10 years ago, he actually got married to uh, a lady with children, which was amazing. Um, but he's got his own natural kids now as well. But I'm like, I want to talk about Joseph, man, because I think Joseph sets a beautiful precedent. And there's so many links to Jesus, but we'll come back to that. So um, Jacob, the father of Joseph, 
my boy, right? The husband of Mary. Because you know, like, he was with Mary. You know that he had them thoughts, especially when the angel comes and says, Yo, <laughs> your, wife's your, well, your wife's pregnant. You know what I mean? You know them thoughts that think, rah, I knew it, you know. <laughs> Even when I was walking down the aisle, but it was too, it was, it was like, I, I wasn't sure. You know what I mean? You know them, them wicked thoughts that the devil brings back to your mind, them evil thoughts. You know what I'm saying? Um, anyway, like I said, we're just getting ahead of myself. Um, but Joseph stood firm, didn't he? You know what I mean? And he listened to God and thanked the Lord that he did. And Joseph got to mash up the thing, but he didn't. He got married to Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, who is called again, getting back to our point, notice, the Messiah. The Messiah. Can you see how Matthew is building a rock-solid case for Jesus being the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the King? Okay, now there's more. Watch how Jesus' birth becomes a massive problem now politically. In Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during a time of, oh, who? I was going to say Herod. But it's not just Herod, is it? King Herod. Now, why would that pose a problem? How many of you know? You can't have two bull in a one pen. You, know, you can't have King Herod and, and King Jesus. Can you see there's going to be a problem? Magi from the east, that's the wise men, right, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? My man could have been like, wait a minute. Bro, like, I'm the king, I'm the king, of, the, I'm the king of the Jews, says Herod. Which king of the Jews? Me, you must be looking for me. <laughs> we saw his star when it rose and have come to not even, not even just serve him, worship him. And if you know anything about Herod, Herod was a bit of a lunatic. He had members of his family murdered if they were just alleged issues. <laughs> it was a madman. So verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And notice, all Jerusalem with him, because they knew what he was like. Like, people would lose their lives over this. When he had called together all the people's um, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. So, like, Matthew, like, what are you doing? Are you trying to say that this Messiah's birth, not only, obviously, is it an issue for someone like Herod, but it was previously predicted. Can you see that? In Bethlehem of Judea. And it's funny because if you look in your Bible like it is on the screen, can you see how verse 6 is indented? That's what um, some of the... Some of the some Bibles, I'm going to say some better Bibles, you know what I'm saying, but maybe more expensive Bibles. You're not just a kind of regular, kind of cheap, kind of cheaper Bible, budget Bible, may not do this, but some of the, the more expensive Bibles, they'll put prophecy indented. So as soon as you look at the text, you know you're looking at a, prophet, a prophecy from the Old Testament. Does that make sense? And, um, <clears throat> and, and he quotes, doesn't he, from where? Anybody know where this quote's taken from? Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. Amen. And this is the quote from Micah. But you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
And there's a verse in Genesis, I think it's Genesis 49, making reference when Jacob, who had his name changed to Israel, had a son, had 12 sons. One of them was called Judah. And he says, the scepter will not leave, you know what I'm saying, from Judah. And he will, like, he will always have someone seated on the throne. And guess where Jesus came from? He came from the line of the tribe of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, this is Micah chapter 5, verse 2, but it is a throwback to Genesis chapter 49. So in terms of building his case, Matthew goes even further, continuing in Matthew chapter 2. After the wise men had visited and then they had left, verse, picking up in verse 13, he says, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He says, Get up. He said, Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Herod, right? So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And notice, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Here's another um, prediction, another prophecy. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Where does that come from? Hosea, thank you, chapter, one, chapter 11, verse 1. Going on in verse 16, it says, When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, drama, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. And in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, verse 17, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was then fulfilled. You know, they call this the slaughter of the innocents. And I'm saying when those babies were killed, and it's not the first time the devil, or should I say Herod, slash the devil, tried to kill the offspring. And I'm saying, when did it take place? Do you remember back in Egypt? Moses, they tried to kill... <coughs> Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Um, sorry. Um, that verse quoted... After verse 17, the prophet Jeremiah, verse 18, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It's a, it's, it's a prophecy, from, and that's from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. Now, <clears throat> listen to Luke's account. So that's Matthew, right? Listen to Luke's account of this, the same time frame um, surrounding the birth of the Messiah, and particularly highlighting this anticipated Messiah. You got, I don't have time to, to build the case, but constantly throughout the Old Testament, there's this expectation, could this be the one? Could this be the one who's going to save us? Noah, you know, his name, you, know his, you know what Noah's name means? It means rest. And again, it's a throwback to, to, to Genesis where God created the world, and then on the seventh day, he what? He rested. They knew what that felt like. And so when Noah was born, they said... Could this be the one who's going to do what? Who's going to usher in this rest that we're anticipating? And I'll take you to where they got that from towards the end of the message. So Luke now, again, he's going to, again, highlight this anticipation. In Luke chapter 2, it says, Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for, notice, the consolation of, of Israel. The consolation is the comfort. It's like, when are we going to get this one that's going to come and he's going to deliver us? Can you see that anticipation? And the Holy Spirit was on him. 
verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen all the Lord's Messiah, which is the consolation, which is what they're anticipating. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus, can you imagine this moment? When, when, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, which was to offer sacrifices because he was the firstborn son to open the womb. Verse 28, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations and the glory of your people Israel. Is that what the verse says? Did I miss something? Oh, what did I miss? So this, this is a child come to be a blessing to Israel, right? Oh, I missed verse 32. Oh, and a light for revelation to who? So wait a minute. So this Messiah hasn't just come for Israel, although he did come for Israel. He's actually come for the nations. Because, you know, the difference between Gentiles and Jews is Jews are Jews. <laughs> and Gentiles are everyone else who ain't Jew. Me and you. This Savior, this, and, and this, that's a quote from, I, from Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6 and 7. Just that section there. This Savior, this anointed one, this Christ, this King, this Messiah, isn't just for Israel, but for everyone. And there's a, there's a portion later where John the Baptist, who points at Jesus, right, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of Israel. He doesn't say that. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then later, John the Baptist has a little bit of a, of a, of a moment where he's struggling, like we all do, and if you don't, you, you'll get there. You know what I mean? And John is, like, he's in prison, right, about to get his head chopped off. And that's enough to, to concern somebody, right? And he's like, my gosh, I was out there killing it. I was telling everybody about the Messiah, I was preparing the way of the Lord. Now I'm in prison. And he says to some of his disciples, you know, just go and check Jesus, yeah, and just ask him for me. Uh, listen to the question. Jesus, are you the one, or should we look for another? Can you hear that they were anticipating someone? John thinks it's Jesus, but in his moment of difficulty, he's... But the issue is, can you hear that they were anticipating that somebody was to come? The question is, who is he? Anticipation. Well, here he is. Simeon's got him in the temple, holding him up, saying, here is the consolation of Israel. My eyes have seen it. And he's not just for Israel, he's for the nations. Back to our text in Matthew chapter 1, right? Whoa. <clears throat> a few verses um, about the miraculous birth, because we can't really leave that out, and then we'll conclude. Now, Foxy and Ashley didn't know that first couple, but they might just possibly, who knows, they might just know this couple. Very doubtful, though. <laughs> it's a couple from Michigan. Where are you guys living? Cali. It's Southern Cali. Oh, is it? What, near Marietta? What? Okay. Big old conversation, sorry, in the midst of the sermon. Sorry. I haven't caught up with them just yet, so. Um, this couple from Michigan, yeah, and you can see they've got three, three little babies, three little kids. 
Now, um, remember, we're talking about a miraculous birth, right? This is incredible. These three kids, they were born on consecutive years, right? But the day they were born is amazing because their birth dates are Sierra arrived on the 10th for the 10th for the 10th. Cameron was born on the 9th for the 9th for the 9th. And Chloe was born on the 8th for the 8th for the 8th. Not just, I mean, three miraculous births in a sense, right? But you know that don't compare to the miraculous nature of the birth of Christ. Like, I'm not. I wouldn't be exaggerating if I said that we ain't got time. Often that's used as a. That is hyperbole, but that I'm not exaggerating. If we had time to go through the miraculous nature of Jesus' birth, I'm just scratching the surface, really. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 22 with regards to the most miraculous, you know what I'm saying, um, virgin birth. <clears throat> Verse 18 says, This is how the birth of Jesus, again, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, ratings, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, it's crazy. Jesus' stepdad, you know what I'm saying, comes from the line of David. Mad. And, and, and when you read Luke, who, who does Luke highlight as coming from the line of David? I, Mary. It's like, it was inevitable. You know what I mean? Like both mother and father come from. Um, where am I? Verse 20. Where, where am I? Verse, middle of verse 20. I'm son of Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because notice, what is conceived in her, conceived, conception, you know, that's when the seed meets the egg, right? What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth, not to a daughter, as wonderful as they are, but to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, which is the Greek, what is the anglicized version of the, of the, the Greek from the Hebrew, which is what? Yeshua is the Greek, and what's the Hebrew? It's my son's middle name, Joshua. Yeah, and it means God is salvation. What, a, what, a, what, a, what an amazing name for, for Jesus, the one who not only come to save, but is God, Emmanuel, with us, come to save. It's, it's, like I said, we ain't got time. So, he, that is Jesus, will save his people from their sins. Now, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Now, here comes the next prophecy, right? The virgin will conceive conception and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this is impossible. I mean, maybe I, I jumped the gun. How is this birth significant? How is this birth miraculously marvelous? Well, one, because as I said, it's an impossibility, apart from supernatural intervention. And two, it was predicted to take place centuries before 
with incredible specificity. Where is the prophecy? Isaiah chapter 7 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Note, this is 700 years B.C. before Christ. Verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, is that obscure? Is that implicit or is that quite explicit? 700 years, thank you, Harry. It's very explicit and it's very clear. It don't make no sense, <laughs> but it is very clear. And this is a prophecy that took place that's consistent with the birth of Jesus, right? See, as I said, this is particularly to help us to give us solid ground upon which we can stand, you know what I'm saying, as we share what sounds very ludicrous, you know what I mean? And I, and I was saying last week, let's reclaim Christmas, you know what I mean? Most people don't know this, you know what I mean? And as Christians, we need to be reminded of this because, hey, apart from this, there would be no Christmas. And how many of you know Christmas doesn't go unnoticed? It's major. I mean, it's holidays, right? I've said it before. Holidays is two words. It's holy day. That's what the word holiday means. I think I told you, Thomas Cook was a Christian. And the reason he started his company was to encourage people to take a break from work, Sabbath, and rest. That's where the word holiday, if you like, and the two major holidays that we have, two major holy days, are Christmas and Easter. In this, at least in this country, if not across the Western world. You know what I mean? I know they wanted to change it to Winterfest, but we can't allow that to happen. You know what I mean? We've got to continue to remind people of what Christmas is about and, and the, like, where it come from. You know what I mean? And I think people will be astounded and they will have to wrestle with this. What do you do with a prophecy from 700 years previous? Not just about when he's going to be born, but where, sorry, not, not just about how he's going to be born, but where he's going to be born, and all of the other um, circumstances that, 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 that surround the, the, this miraculous, marvelous occasion. <clears throat> Genesis, and the thing is, if it was 700 years previous to Jesus being, I'd be like, wow. I'm like, whoa, that's, imp that's impressive. And I'm like, who could have told? How would somebody know that? Well, God is the one that sent the prophet. But if 700 years is impressive, how about 4,000 years previous? Back in Genesis, where is anybody know where it is? Somebody shout out. Come on now. Thank you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. We'll start in verse 14. We're going to end. We've got one more verse after this. One illustration and one verse, and then we're done. Genesis 3, verse 14 and 15. Now, this is just after Adam and Eve had sinned, after being beguiled by the serpent, or Eve, and then Adam foolishly followed his wife, and, they, and they're all in trouble. And they're all blaming each other, right? 
And Eve blames her husband. No, Adam blames Eve, and then Eve blames the serpent. And God deals with both of them. Now he comes to the serpent. Verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle. And more than every beast of the field, on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Verse 15. And I will put enmity between you, who? The serpent, right? And the woman. Like, who, who, who's this woman? Right? Well, it's, it's Eve he's talking about, right? And between your seed, or is he talking about Eve? Your seed and her seed. Now, you've got to do a little bit of gymnastics at the beginning, but when you get to this part, like, okay, there's a woman involved, the serpent's involved, the serpent's got seed. I ain't got time to, to, to clarify that, but it is true. Um, the New Testament, as well as the Old Testament, makes reference to the seed of the serpent or the seed of the devil, Cain being one of them, and Judas being another. No, but notice, between your seed and her, it's this her seed that causes you to trip up now. Because how many of you know women with seed? A woman on her own has eggs. But it's the man that has the seed. So how does a woman have seed that's going to contribute, notice, to the downfall of the devil? Because look, her seed, this seed of the woman, at the end of verse 15, he shall bruise your head. Remember, the Lord speaking to the serpent. So somehow, there's a woman who's going to have seed, and this seed is going to end up bruising the head of the serpent. Although the serpent will bruise his heel. Now, talk about a puzzle, like real paradox. I mean, it must have been a myth for them when they heard it. You know what I'm saying? And it might even be a myth to us as we listen to it. But how many of you know this is what theologians call the proto-evangelion? That is proto meaning first. As in, you know when you make like one, the first car, like Model T Ford, it's a prototype. Proto meaning the first. Right? So this is the proto, the first. Evangelion is the word for gospel. This is the first reference of the good news or the gospel, which ultimately is Adam and Eve, you messed up. You brought sin into the world. But here, right on the back of them sinning, they sinned in Genesis 3, right? Right on the back of them sinning, God has already got a plan in place that's going to deal with the issue and the problem of sin. Now, that's a very um, meager summary of the issue, but it's true nonetheless. I just don't have time to unpack it. So we don't have a promise 700 years before the occasion, right? Which would have been 2,700 years from our time, 700 years before the time of Jesus, because Jesus was 2,000 years ago. But this promise of a woman, and not just a woman, a virgin, having a child, specifically a son, who's going to be the Messiah, who's going to be the anointed one, who's going to be the king. He's going to be the one predicted from Genesis 3.15 who's going to 
bruised the head of the serpent, the devil. But at the same time, he's going to have his heel affected. How many of you know this is a picture of Jesus, the seed of the woman, going to the cross and dying for the sins of mankind and overcoming our ultimate enemy? Not the Romans for the Jews. It's not Europe, the European Union for us. How many of you know Like our biggest issue, our biggest enemy is the devil and in conjunction with that, our sin? And how many of you know we need somebody to save us? Because if I could have saved myself, I would have done, done it already. And I can't. Every, like, I was going to say daily, I'm reminded. It's like hourly, I'm rem- like minute by minute, I'm reminded that I need a savior. I need someone to rescue me. You know, what's funny? Here's the illustration in one more verse, right? If just in case you wanted to remind me. Um, Anybody know who this guy is? Rob Bell. And he's changed over the years. He used to be an evangelical preacher. I mean, I heard this brother preach a message about 15 years ago that I thought was one of the greatest messages I've ever heard. And it still is a great message. But he's moved away from that now. And he's, he's a heretic now. His name's Rob Bell. And, you know, Rob Bell, he said about the virgin birth, about this miraculous birth that we've been talking, talking about. He has recently said, he said, was the virgin birth that important? Basically saying, mm, it's not really that important. It's not that big a deal. I mean, he believes a whole heap of things that would make your, make your eyebrows curl. He said, what's the big deal about the virgin birth? And I love this brother. Like, my man just come back at him. Yeah. Who's this? Mark Driscoll, you know, listen, I, st- I still love that bro- this brother, I can't lie. Mark Driscoll, Driscoll, come back. Is the virgin birth, is it that important? Rob Bell, Mark Driscoll says, without the virgin birth, Jesus is not Jesus. Jesus, Pastor E said it earlier, as a baby, he was laid in a wooden manger as an adult. He will be laid on a wooden cross. I mean, Christmas is wonderful, but we're quickly reminded as believers, aren't we, that there's a bit of sweet taste to Christmas. Because Jesus, he was born, but I mean, if you know, he was born to die. And the Bible doesn't command us to remember Jesus' birth. It commands us to remember his death. Because fundamentally, that's the reason why he was born. So I'm saying, and that's the reason, that's the rationale fundamentally for Christmas. <clears throat> Jesus, he came to rescue. Notice he came to save his people from their sins. And it, it, would have been a, it would have been a wonderful thing to look and say, wow, Jesus came to save Israel. How wonderful is that? But I reminded us, who are his people? They're not just Jews. Jesus, the son of Abraham. I mean, you, you know, Abraham wasn't originally a Jew. You know, Abraham come from Ur of the Chaldees, which is modern-day Iraq. That's where Abraham originally come from. Abraham, Jesus is the son of Abraham. He's the son of David, who's the son of Joseph. No, he's not the son of Joseph. He's the son of God, because that's where the supernatural seed came from. He's 
the Christ, the anointed one. He's the king. So who are his people? Well, Jesus, he came from Israel, but he came for the whole world. Remember John 3.16 from last week, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is the real meaning behind Christmas. Verse 21, the virgin, she will give birth to a son, and you are to call him the name Jesus because he will save his people, not from a political power, but from their sins. So in contrast to our desires, <clears throat> what are you hoping for? I mean, if you know, sometimes there are gifts that we need that we may not be aware of. And last week I said to you, James 1.17, this is the last verse. Every good gift, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation. He never changes or casts a shift in shadow. When it comes to giving gifts, can you see how God can hardly be outdone? He's the best gift giver. I mean, if you know, God don't shop in tiger or pound stretcher. Today you can see how God gives good and perfect gifts. I'm going to ask the team to come and join me um, if they've got one more song. <clears throat> God gave us the Messiah. So Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about the fact that God gave us Joseph and why that's significant. And then next Sunday, the 30th, which is our last Sunday of the year, we're going to talk about the fact that God gave us himself. Um, I'm going to try to pray while these guys are coming up to join me. You can switch off the projector. Father, thank you. Even as I hear that baby crying, thank you, Lord, that you are willing, <clears throat> Father, to send the Lord Jesus, your son, your only son, the son that you loved. Like Abraham in Genesis 22 um, he was asked to offer up his son, and Lord, he, he was willing, which is beyond me. I don't, know, I don't know if I could offer up my son as a sacrifice, but Abraham did. He was willing, and that just shows you how hard that sacrifice was. But you said, no, you don't need to, and there was the ram in the thicket, and he was able to offer up that animal as a sacrifice. Father, it's funny because just when um, they were going up the hill, when he put the wood on Isaac's back and Isaac had to carry the wood up the hill, when they got to the top, Isaac said, Father, he says, he says Dad, I can, see the sac I can see the the knife, I can see the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, Son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And Father, you sent Jesus, and Jesus came and he came so vulnerably. Pastor, he said it earlier. A vulnerable baby. Is, is there anything more vulnerable? And the whole hope, not just of Israel, of the whole world was wrapped up in that child. And we thank you that you preserved Jesus from Herod and from any other attack of the enemy. And Jesus grew, became a man. And he lived that perfect life, again, as was mentioned earlier. Tempted in all points, yet without sin, and became our perfect sacrifice. 
and died in our place from the manger to the cross in order to save his people from their sins. Father, we confess that we are sinful people, which breaks our hearts, Lord. It causes us to feel shame and, and embarrassment because we know our sin. Yet we're grateful because the Bible says Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I would say of whom I'm chief. And we're so grateful because the bad news was that Jesus had to die, but the good news is that he died for us to save his people from their sins. And we want to thank you because this is the time of year where we can shout it from the rooftops. Amen. Regardless of who it offends, we can reclaim back Christmas, Christ's. It's, it's, in, it's in the, the answer's in the name. It's in the title. And so, Father, I pray that you'd remind us of this, even today, even throughout the course of this Christmas season, and that we would have confidence in this message, confidence in Jesus as he forgives us. And But, Lord, that you'd give us confidence further to share it with others so that they might become his people and have their sins forgiven. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.